Welcome back to a brand new episode of Learning As I Go, officially sponsored by British Triathlon. And thank you to everybody who's already signed up to do the race with me in July in Sunderland. It's going to be a movie. But today we are back with a brand new location. Boodles on King Street in Manchester and it's very fitting because today we have an absolute diamond of a guest introducing Radio 1's very own Dean McCulloch. This is going to be one amazing conversation. We are talking about his life, different levels to him, but mainly about sobriety and his relationship to alcohol and how it's impacted his life and those people around him. So please sit back, tune in and listen to another life lesson with Learning As I Go. We have got the new Prince of Radio 1. Do you like what I did there? Yeah, Prince. Um, oh, you don't like it? Prince is fine. I'm just, yeah, let's go with Prince for now. We soon, can't, can't soon be, be king, king. yeah. That's, not, that's bougie. Not yet. Honestly, you have just burst onto um, the radio scene. Obviously, you've been working for many years now and perfecting your craft yeah. as a presenter. I know that you started off at Gadio, built your career there. You knocked down some doors to get in there, but you've just replaced Scott Mills after yeah. 24 years. Yeah. How does that feel? It's crazy because when I started at Radio 1, I didn't know what the plan was. Like There was no real plan for me that that I was told of anyway. I wasn't privy to any of those conversations, but I just sent my demo in like anyone else. And there was about 1,500 of us that put in our demos and, and I got chosen to do a pilot, see how that goes. And then they put me on at Christmas to do two shows I covered for Clara. And that was amazing. Then they just brought me back to do like wee cover shifts here and there not knowing that there was this plan that I would take over first from Jordan North, who took over when Grimmy left. The plan was always like, I thought was for me to stay on weekends for like a couple of years, because mm -hmm. I loved doing my weekend show. But actually my boss had bigger plans that, you know, he was kind of like priming me up to take over from Scott. But I thought if anything like that happens, if I move from weekends to daytime, it's going to take years. And I was totally fine with that because I felt like a competition winner. And actually, I still do a little bit. But that's what I love about guests like you. I feel like, yes, you've already got an amazing career, but you can tell that the next few years are going to be super exciting for you. So we've got an exclusive in there now, guys. I'm saying it here first that this guy <laughs> is going to be the biggest guy you'll ever meet on radio. Believe me now. <laughs> He's going to be huge. He's going to be huge. <laughs> um, but like, how did a guy from Northern Ireland end up in Manchester? Tell me a bit about your childhood and the story to get here. Well, I, I left home when I was 17 and went to drama school. Mm. So from a very, very young age, I knew I wanted to work in the entertainment business. I wanted to be James Bond when I was seven. James Bond? I did, yeah. Wow, okay. I still love watching James Bond and I said to my mum, I want to be James Bond, but I had so much energy. If seven-year-old me was in here, I'd be like lifting this up, like looking under the table, watch me, I want to do a dance for you, like I'd be singing. Pretty much everything that I did before the cameras started rolling, yeah. <laughs> but when I was seven. And so my mummy was like, he's got too much energy. So she put me into drama school and I did that from when I was seven till I was 17. And towards the end of my time at that drama school, I was there six, seven days a week because over the sort of years, I realized that this was my call and this was something. It wasn't just, oh, I want to be James Bond because that's fun. It was like, no, actually, I found my creative outlet. Like, I love to communicate with people. I love to express myself. I love to act and sing and dance and all of that. So I took it really seriously. And I used to go around family parties at the age of 10 and be like, well, one day I'm going to move to London. And my family were like, you've never fucking been to London. <laughs> and I was like, that's not the point. <laughs> Honestly. And when I was 17, I did my GCSEs and I, I got accepted into a drama school in London called Lane Theatre Arts, which is a really, really good school. And I was like the first boy from Northern Ireland ever to get in there with a scholarship. And I was like, how is this happening? And I went to drama school. I did three years there and they were the best and the worst three years of my life. Like I went from this big fish in a very small pond in Belfast doing all sorts of jobs and film and TV and whatever to be in, in a classroom where everyone looked like me and that really brought me down to earth, you know, and these guys in my class were so much better than me, but I had the gift of the gab. I always say I talked my way into drama school, which I know is quite hard to believe, but I did. <laughs> so I moved to London. I lived in London for eight years. You know, I, I left drama school without a job in the West End. I wanted to be in Wicked and Dirty Dancing and, and We Were Rocky and I was getting to the finals for all these jobs, but I just wasn't quite getting there. 
And my vice principal said to me on one of my last appraisals, he said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you, Dean McCulloch. You're either going to come out of here with a job in the West End Mm -hmm. and you're going to last for about a year. You're going to piss everyone off. You're going to make loads of mistakes. You're going to get sacked and you're going to go away and work on yourself. Then you're going to come back and you're going to be a star. Or you're going to leave here without a job. You're going to go and work on yourself. You're going to make loads of connections, become a star and then come back to musical theatre. And I was like, "Mm, I don't really like what you're saying to me here. I'm going to leave with a job. I'm in the finals for this, this and this. And he was like, that's okay. That's okay. But mark my words, you're going to leave at some point and you're going to come back. And I didn't, that didn't work for me because my whole, got to remember from the age of seven, I'm now 18. And my vice principal is telling me that at one point I'm going to leave the industry. Like that just wasn't a thing for me. And at this point, there was no mention of being a presenter, none. So that sort of sat with me. And it's really, really weird because actually I think that has been what's happened to me. I left without a job. I got invited to this presenting workshop in London and I got kidnapped by presenting. Like my whole focus just turned to like, oh my God. So something clicked in my brain when I stepped out onto the stage at this workshop and all I had to do was talk. (laughs) And people started clapping and I was like, hold on a minute. I'm not in costume. I'm not sweating. I've not had to learn anything. I've not had to sing. Just being you. I've just got to be myself and people are going to accept me for that. This could work. Like, because I didn't think the presenting was a real job. I didn't. I just didn't. I didn't value it at all. And so, yeah, I, 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 I sort of went from pillar to post for years in London, struggling between am I a presenter or am I a performer? And riding both of those bikes, I wasn't getting anywhere. I was just muddying all the water. I must have sent about 100 emails out to different presenting agents and I didn't get anything back. I did it all on my own. And when I finally realised that I actually could be a presenter, I'd have presented the opening of a door. So I, I lived that life in London for so, so long. And then when I was in, in 2016, I did a show and I knew it was going to be my last show for a while. I could feel it coming. The presenting was going quite well on the side and I wasn't getting the same bug from performing, even though it's completely runs through my veins. And I was like, right, it's time for me to, it's time for me to focus on the presenting thing. So uh, that was 2016. Then in 2017, I just packed my, my bags and just went traveling. So when I went back to London, I realized it wasn't for me. And I rang my mom and I says, oh, mom, she says, well, how's the jet lag, son? I says, oh, it's fine. I says, but London is just not a vibe. Mm-hmm. And she went, what do you mean? I says, everyone's so angry. Everyone's so aggressive. <laughs> and I've just like, I've still got sand in my hair. I've still got my backpack on, my beard's out to here. And, and I'm like, why does everyone just look so miserable? And she says, well, where do you want to live? I says, I don't know. So, I don't know, maybe like Manchester or something. She was like, but you don't know anybody in Manchester? I says, I know, I don't know why I've said that. I'd only ever been to Manchester to host Pride. It's like in and out job. Like I'd never spent any mm. time in Manchester. Anyway, she says, put it out to the universe. If you're meant to live in Manchester, you'll live in Manchester. And I went, right, okay. And then I went back traveling again. And then when I got back to Thailand at Christmas time, I met a guy on the beach on Christmas day and, and we started talking and whatever. And I said to him, so where are you from then? And he said, Manchester. <laughs> and it was like, dun, dun, dun. Oh, shit. All roads leading to Oh, no, I'm going to end up moving to Manchester. And I did. I did. Eight weeks later. I missed him so much. I, I was staying in North, northern Thailand. He'd gone back. He was only on holiday. And he says, well, why don't you come and stay in Manchester? You can, you can stay with me for a bit till you find your feet. I moved to Manchester on the 18th of January, 2018. And on the 20th of January, 2018, I knocked on the door of Gadio, which is an amazing LGBTQ plus radio station. And I just came in, sat down and I said, is the boss here? And he was like, yeah, that's me, what do you want? I says, um, do you have time for a cup of tea? And he was like, yeah, okay, give me five minutes. And he came and sat down and he says, how can I help? I says, well, I've just moved here. He was like, I can see that. He says, you're a lovely town. I was like, yeah, I've just been traveling for a while and I've just moved here. And I think that you should give me a job. And he was like, oh yeah. I says, yeah, I would, I've looked at your schedule and I can see that it's very busy and everyone's been here for quite some time. But if anything changed, I would love to kind of like do some bits and bobs. It was like, it's funny you should say that. Our breakfast show is disbanding on Friday after six years. So the schedule is going to be up on its air. So I do need someone to come in and cover, which is the first time this has ever happened. And I went, okay, well, when do you want me? He says, can you come in tomorrow and record a demo? And then honestly, that was it. The door just flung open and that's when all of that learning, all of that struggle in London, all of that willy won'ty, willy won'ty thing all sort of came together. And I and I could feel it in my body that I was supposed to be in Manchester 
at Gadio, learning how to present, learning not how to present, getting all these experiences because I knew that one day I would end up at Radio One. But, but there's one big element um, that you've kind of missed out here in terms of obviously you've you've done put all this learning into your career and everything else, but there's something that I picked up on, on a previous interview that you've done about uh, figuring out your own sexuality as well yeah. as a young lad. So when did you get the bravery and, and the courage then to have that big, was there like a big moment of like, <laughs> like they say coming out of the closet, was there a big moment like that for you? Um, there wasn't. My mum, I, I mean, I, I'd sort of loosely told a few of my friends. I was outed in school by one of my friends. So that wasn't nice at all. Oof. And then my mum sat me down on the sofa one day. I must've been about 15, 15, maybe about to turn 16. And she was like, is there anything that you want to talk to me about? And I said, like what? And she was like, just like anything that you might just want to tell me. And I, me and my mum had been at, we had been going head to head for about a year and a half. We had, we didn't have the best relationship because her and my dad were breaking up. So I didn't fit into all of that. So when she finally sat me down, she was like, I can tell that you're really struggling. If there's anything you want to talk to me about, you know that it's okay and I'll love you for whatever it is that you might want to tell me, Dean. And I was like, no, there's nothing. And she went, okay. And then she went, look, I know there is. I know there is something that you want to say and it's fine. And she said, I love you regardless. So she kind of like took out the bit where I might need to say, yes, mom, I'm gay. And she just motored on, do you know what I mean? And she just held me and she was like, it's fine. And so there wasn't a big all singing, all dancing. I didn't have to come out to my family. I didn't have to like do this post on Instagram because that wasn't a thing. And <laughs> um, I just kind of got on with it a little bit and it, it all became a little bit easier. And then I moved to London quite quickly after that. So I kind of was this fresh, young gay guy with the world at his feet who thought he knew everything. And I moved to London to go to drama school. And as exciting as that sounds and chasing the bright lights of London, like that sounds like something from a movie, <laughs> but actually it was a very, very dangerous concoction of things to happen because I had so much trauma from my mum and dad breaking up, so much trauma and shame from being gay and I had these dreams of being on the stage and, and working in entertainment. Where does that meet? Where do those worlds collide? It was never gonna be pretty. I had buried so much of that that hadn't been dealt with. Mum and dad broke up. Five minutes later, I moved to London. Mm. To isolation, to this intense training that I was gonna go through for three years with a lot of other people around me that were also going through things. What I didn't realize was, was that I was definitely running away from all of that pain that I had gone through from a young age and the bullying and the, the issues that my mum and dad breaking up had had on me, realizing that my dad that brought me up wasn't my real dad. Ooh, wow. So I, I had all of these like abandonment issues and all this pain that I was just holding on to because it had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to just sit and be like, I think I'm going through something because I didn't realize I was just focused on getting to London. I was just focused on getting into drama school. I was just focused. I thought, well, if I get there, everything else will be, everything else will melt away. But as we know, it doesn't like that trauma has to come out at some point. And yeah. it did. And yeah, you, you mentioned that obviously we talked earlier and you mentioned that after being sober for a year, your trauma kind of comes up out of nowhere and, and sits on your shoulder and mm -hmm. sort of confronts you. But we'll get to that point. But before we do, so you've got into Gadio, you're on the radio. Yeah. And then you're kind of living your dream, yeah. so to speak. You found out who you are now, you're doing what you love. And then alcohol creeps into your life, right? Is this mainly during lockdown where you said you kind of, your relationship to alcohol spiraled out of control? Yeah, I mean, it's actually related to that trauma that I was talking about before where there was patterns that formed quite quickly whenever, I, whenever I'd graduated from drama school. There was never any like, wild drinking at drama school weirdly and I, I hadn't touched a drug before it wasn't until I had left drama school and I was so skint mm. I was so lonely and so lost that I would get dressed up I'd loads of friends you see and they would be going to these amazing parties I had friends that worked in tv worked in musicals and and I was getting invited to these big celebrity bashes with a free bar. So that really works when you've got no money. Mm. So I could just get dressed up, play the part of somebody who's got their shit together and go out. And a few, few of my friends around me were quite, they were like heavy drinkers, but you'd never know they were drunk. They could just put it away. Whereas I couldn't, you know, <laughs> and I would find myself in these situations where I would be at a party with all of these famous people and I'd be like, 
how am I going to make myself fit in here? So I would become this bigger character. Do you know what I mean? I would amp everything up without even realizing it. I'm not saying that was this shy and retiring boy, but through therapy, I realized that I was the showman. So from a young age, the showman was the one that got the laughs. The showman was the one that everyone loved. But where did I, where was the dean in all of that? So when I was, at, so when I was graduating, I was the showman quite a lot because I didn't really know who I was underneath it all. So I would drink to make myself look bigger. And then I would say yes to all of these parties that, and all sorts of things were happening. I was getting myself into like really dangerous situations, but it, it served a purpose because I could look at these pictures on Facebook and I could... I had people message me being like, oh my God, loved meeting you last night. Like, let's hang out again. Like my friend ha has his birthday in Covent Garden next week. You've got to come, you're so fun. And I was like, okay, this is working. You know, like I'm having a great time. This is really fun. And I'm just a socialite and everyone loves me. And it was just that kind of narrative of like, we're getting through it type thing. It's so funny you say that because I can really identify with that because I became the Scotty special when I was throwing my parties. I remember my relationship to alcohol kind of escalated because I had to be the host at the front when everyone yeah. arrived. And I think in some ways, I'm an extrovert in so many ways, but I'm also an introvert. Yeah. So to keep it up every single week, I felt like I had to drink to become this character. Mm -hmm. And also when people get drunk as well, when you're around drunk people, you almost feel like you need to be even drunker than them to deal with them. Mm -hmm. But I lost who I was for literally all my 20s because I was so wrapped up in, Scotty Special was super cool, man. He was the mm -hmm. loudest guy in the room. He was dancing on bars and tables and he would be the last man standing at yeah. any kitchen party that you went yeah. to. Do you know what I mean? And I kind of identified myself as that person, but I actually didn't know who I was. And it's really hard to break away from that person. Mm -hmm. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Because you're almost wrapped up in that as your identity. Did you, did you feel like you were wrapped up in the Dean, the showman? I was until, until lockdown happened where... I repeated all of those patterns and I realized how dangerous it was and how I felt worse because of it. I felt more lonely, more empty, more in lack. And so I sort of put a stop to it in like 2016, 2017. And then that's when I went traveling. Then I sort of started to unravel a few things when I was away. And as I said, I wasn't drinking as much when I was traveling. So people were telling me that they loved hanging out with me. And I was like, ding, ding, ding. People prefer, people actually prefer the quiet Scott, the normal yeah. Scott, to crazy Scott. Yeah. And you, you actually don't believe that at the time, or do you? You don't, you don't. But I, I would sit on the side of the street in India. There was this guy that I used to pass every morning and he was an ear cleaner. And I was, I used to go up to this little cafe and have this beautiful vegan, like, um, Asahi bowl and a little smoothie and I just watched the river go by and sometimes I'd sit there all day it sounds like I'm making it up but I really did do it it was very eat pray love Julia Roberts vibes <laughs> and every day I'd pass him and, he, and and when I was leaving Rishikesh the place in India he said to me he came and said God bless you brother God bless you brother thank you for seeing me thank you for talking to me I will miss you and all I did every day was say good morning to him. I'd bring him a little croissant from the hostel I was staying in. Like it was such a nothing communication. But it was you. It did was, you it, that was me. That was you. That yeah. was the real me. And he identified with that and he loved that. And, and we sat and had conversations sometimes. I mean, I was there for like 10 days. And I, rem I remember getting goosebumps and I remember looking around and going, something's happening here. There is something going on here. And people would gravitate to me in the hostel or people would say, oh, Dean, do you want to come and do this hike with us and whatever? And I'd be like, why do they want to hang out with me? But this notion of this person that I had created in order to fit in was very, very quickly crumbling away. And the real me who could just get up in the morning and shove on the closest pair of shorts and the, the vest top that was still crinkly and the hair pant and grab the bum bag and go and sit on the beach and hang out with the locals. That was the me. That was the real me. None of this like, oh, I need to go and get a new outfit. We need to make sure we meet the guy at nine o'clock. Otherwise, it's going to be a shit night because we're not going to have that in our pockets. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like that kind of who who is that person that just thinks that they need to do all of these things in order to feel a certain type of way. But when we were in lockdown, and I wouldn't say up until this point, when these sort of workings were going on behind the scenes in my head, I definitely wasn't dependent on alcohol. And in fact, I would go as far as to say, I was never dependent on alcohol. Yeah, I don't think I was either. It's weird. And that's why when people say like, oh, do you need to hit rock bottom in order to to work things out, I would say, no, you really don't. You just need to understand why it is you're drinking. Because in the pandemic, I was doing my um, breakfast show on Gadio 
I'd worked my way up there. I was earning good money. But when lockdown happened, my boss rang me and he said, look, we are going under and our breakfast show, the people that are doing our breakfast show have to go home and be with their families. So if you want to, we need someone to host a breakfast show, but we're going to have to cut your wages. And I was like, okay, fine. So there again is that notion of being skin, right? So it's that's one thing, skin, in lack. Right. Security. The security is now gone. The lifestyle that I had built up until that point was crumbling from beneath me. Okay, but you're not going to have a production team. You're going to be in there every day. You're going to have to do your show because we can't have anybody with you. There's that lonely thing. And then also, in amongst all of that, you've got to get up and do it every single day. And we're here to support you from afar and let us know if it ever gets too much. Okay, fine. I'm going to say after like two weeks, of being on that breakfast show, I was empty. So there's that empty thing again. In lack, lonely, empty. Wow, I can identify with so many of these things that you're just saying, and it's mad the awareness you've got. But when people used to say to me, why don't you just ever go home? And I literally, I had all these friends and I was this big popular promoter, but if I went home, I was going back to be on my own. Mm-hmm. In a, in a room and I, I would literally stay out for as long as possible yeah. so I did not have to come down to be on my own yeah. in that room. And that's so weird. Like I've just, light bulbs just gone off in my head then when you talk about loneliness, lack, emptiness, security, financial security is a big one for me, which yeah. I think now that I've finally got that in my life, because I'd make money, but I'd spend it all that week, do you know what I mean? On, on craziness. So I can definitely identify with that, but it, it sounds like you've got the awareness now, but at the time you must have had no clue. I had no clue. I did, all, I, all I could see was breakfast show. If you call me and ask me to do something for you, I'm going to do it. And I owed it to my boss because he he's the one that was tippy-tapping on his laptop in 2018 and was like, come in. So I had to step up. I had to repay that, mm. that good faith that he had in me. Mm. So I was doing the breakfast show. I had a co-host and we were getting up every day. Everyone else was under their duvet. Everyone else was watching this morning. The key workers were absolutely killing it. And I was getting up to go and open a radio studio, to go in and do a breakfast show, to a listenership that had doubled because everybody needed, because they're they're queer people. Mm. They need to hear themselves on the radio. So I had this influx of like new followers, thank you messages every, every day. It was a lot. We had the news every half an hour, didn't know what was coming. The anxiety was running through my body and I didn't even realize. And before I knew it, I was in a real mess because I had nowhere to run. And I couldn't go out on the weekend and go to parties and dance and do all of these things in order for me to put on that show and make myself feel like I'm okay. So what happened was everything crumbled from around me and I was just backwards and forwards to that studio every day, five days a week, first thing in the morning. The alarm went off at 5 a.m. and I was like, I can't do this again. And I got myself to a point where I thought I was gonna have a bit of a breakdown. It was triggered by somebody telling me that if I wasn't on their radio every morning, they were gonna kill themselves. Oh God. So I got it on a Friday and they said, look, thank you for being there for me every day. I'm going through X, Y, and Z. And if it wasn't for you coming on my radio at seven o'clock every morning, I wouldn't be here anymore. This was on Friday, 10 past 10. I just finished my last show of the week. And they said, um, I'm looking forward to hearing you again on Monday. And I was like, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? I've got so much pressure already on me to deliver. And listen, I'm not stupid. I know I wasn't trying to cure coronavirus. I was just doing the radio. But if we're gonna talk about what that does to the mind, I was being, put under so much pressure and the pressure was coming from me. It wasn't coming from my bosses. It wasn't coming from the people at home. It was all inside me because I didn't have the me to navigate this with a clear head. Mm. So I would go home and I would drink. And for the first time ever in my life, I'll never forget it. I was stood in my kitchen and it was a glass of white wine and I took a sip of the wine and I felt better. I, for the first time in my life, it took the edge off. So it felt like a remedy. One million percent. And I was like, okay, now alcoholism runs in my family and I've got a lot of friends that have been alcohol dependent. So I just thought it was my turn. How weird is that? I thought it was my turn to become alcohol dependent. Whereas before you only drank for like socializing. Yeah. So it felt different this time. Way different. Because I like like everybody with nowhere to go. Everyone drank more in the pandemic. And I was drinking one glass of wine, two glasses of wine a night, a bottle of wine a night. On your own? 
sometimes on my own, mm. sometimes with my flatmate. Mm. And on a Friday, it was like, I was on the phone to the guy whilst I was still doing my breakfast show. Because I knew that, I knew that I couldn't face the reality away from the radio of what was actually happening in the world. So I needed to like get out of my head. I need to get out of my head quick. And I knew that I finished work at 10 o'clock on a Friday and I didn't have to be back until 5 a.m. on a Monday. So I had two full days to just get out of my head. And that's exactly what I did. There were days where I would like come home from work on a, I maybe not sleep on the Thursday night, go in and do work and then go out all weekend. I was here, there and everywhere. I mm. was gone. I look back at those pictures now and I'm just like, who is that guy? Yeah. I can see it in my eyes. I can see it in my face. I'm like, I just want to grab him and just say, you're going to be all right. Mm, yeah, it's pure. It sounds like it, it's very similar to me in terms of it was pure escapism. Yeah. Running away from yourself. And I remember when I did go sober for the first time, the, the hardest part was being alone with your own thoughts yeah. and having to face Scott every single day. <laughs> and even yeah. now it's tough now. And you said as well, over time, it still happens and even more deeper and sort of um, more traumatic trauma comes up to the surface. Mm -hmm. But I remember the hardest thing for me was I just didn't know who I was or liked to, or wanted to face who I was. So being the Scottish special and going running around town and, and escaping all that was kind of my, my way of dealing with it. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, how bad it actually got? What were you drinking? Like, I've heard stories of you drinking like bottles of vodka. Yeah, I mean, in my younger years, I didn't go out and binge drink. I wasn't the type of person that was drinking a bottle of vodka in the park. Like I would have two bottles of Caribbean Twist yeah. and I would drink them and I was like, oh, I'm drunk, but I wasn't, you know? So I didn't have that in me to just lay in the pints of Guinness or anything like that. So it really shocked me on a Monday morning when I was going to work and I looked at my bins in my apartment and it was like, three bottles of red, a bottle of vodka, a bottle of Prosecco. Mm. I was like, who drank that? Oh, it was me, me and my flatmate. And I just thought something's not right here. I've never been able to drink like this. Is this what happens when you get older? And that was a bit of a wake up call. But I've got to say like, I didn't hit this full on rock bottom hell. I could just see that I was repeating old behavior patterns. The behavior patterns from 2014 to 2016 where I was lonely, skin, empty. I was doing all of that again and I was like, I can't just keep repeating these patterns. This is not, this is not it. So I had a party for Manchester Pride. One year, people just came back to my flat. Everyone left on the Monday. I wasn't on a massive come down. I wasn't riddled with anxiety. I wasn't hung over. I just turned to my best mate and just went, I'm gonna stop drinking for a while. And she was like, yeah, babe, get your life. I went, yeah, I think it's time for me just to like do 30 days, just to clear out like it had been a while, a couple of months. It's time just to, let's just detox for like a couple of weeks and just see what happens. And prior to this, I'd been having conversations with a few of my sober friends that I could see were killing it. And I remember them saying like, you can do it, you can do it. I was asking them some of the questions like, but like, will my friends still like me? And they were like, yeah. And they were like, well, do you care if they don't? And I went, mm, I just don't want to be boring. Mm. You know, I just don't, I want to give up, but I don't want to be boring. And they're like, Dean, you'll never be boring. And I was like, okay, well, so it was just like these little flashes throughout the year of me like having these kind of sober curious chats. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And you're sort of starting to like paint this picture in your head as of what could that life be like? So I just stopped on the 1st of September and- If I met someone who was sober and they were out on a night out, yeah. enjoying life, I felt like they were a superhero. <laughs> yes. I was like, there's one guy called Kellel. He was always out in town. He used to wear a flat cap. And I used to party with him for about five years. Yeah. And one time I offered him a drink and he went, I don't drink, mate. I went, are you taking the piss? I said, so all this time you've not drank? He went, no, mate, I'm just high off life. And yeah. I went, you're a, super, you're a superhero. <laughs> Like whatever it is you're doing, teach yeah. me. But for me, I was similar to you. Like I didn't, well, there was a moment where I hit rock bottom, but my rock bottom in, compared to other people is not like I wasn't in rehab or anything like that. It was getting escorted out of a work event. But that was just multiple, that was one of multiple occasions yeah. where I was waking up going, who was that person last night? Mm -hmm. I don't recognize him. And I just felt empty as well because I felt like I didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. But when people say to me again, how do you stop drinking? I think it's when you get to the point you go, it's not who I want to be. And I think I've heard you say before that you start to think about, right, if I want to be on Radio 1 mm -hmm. and I want to achieve this goal of mine, what does that person look like? How does he behave and, and how does he act? And for me, I'm like, I want to be 
a businessman. I want to be respected. I want to be balanced. I want to get into presenting myself. I want to be someone who is successful. Does that person still self-sabotage at the weekends and get himself into situations he shouldn't be in, say things to people he doesn't mean? No, he doesn't. And don't get me wrong, it's took me a long time because I went sober in 2020 for a year. Mm-hmm. And that was the like the biggest moment of my of my life in terms of I achieved so much. But yeah. I was very similar to you. I did not want to be the sober guy. I didn't want to be the boring guy. Right. So after that, I decided, right, I'm gonna try and drink again. And people said to me that, Scott, you won't be able to moderate. You're not a moderator. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Yeah, I can be a moderator. And to be fair, I actually think I can. So I can go out for two drinks, but I will wake up the next day going, What was the point in that? Yeah. I was like, why did I put poison into my body for no reason? Yeah. I feel a bit flat today. What's the point? And it almost revved me up to go, I need to go out and do it properly. Yes. And I, I'm so interested when I speak to my team, uh, so I was proud and they go, oh, we went out for drinks last night. Uh, I said, oh, go on, where did you go? Did you end up at the casino? Yes. And they go, no, we got home by 12. I went, what? What? Yeah. And I, I can't identify with that because for me, I only drank to escape and to become this other person. So when I wait up and go, so... Do I even want to drink then? Is it more about me now falling in love with who I am as a yeah. person and then just getting to the point that he's even making me smile now going because I can see that it's starting to happen over time yeah. that I'm going to become that superhero over time. Don't get me wrong, there's still situations I'm going to now. I can go on a night out and I'll last around two hours tops really mm-hmm. and then I'll get myself off. But I, I can see over time getting to the point where I can actually stay out all night and yeah. enjoy myself. And this is something I spoke to you about. You said that, and, I, and this is why I love speaking to you. You went, I said, do you go out nights out? You went, Scott, I go to raves. Yeah, full on raves. And you go to raves sober. I'm Talk- going to one tonight. No, you're not. I am, yeah, yeah. We're going to New Century, my friend's DJ. And then I was actually saying to my boyfriend, I was like, I'm so looking forward to going out tonight because when you're sober, right, your criteria to what is acceptable is very long, right? Because you've not got booze to just mask the bullshit. So my perfect night out now as being sober is pre-drinks with the boys. Let's come round, let's get the tunes on, let's chat shit. Cause that's what I used to do, right? Sorry, that's what you, you still do now? Still do now. The boys are coming round tonight about half seven. I've got like a drawer full of like alcohol free spirits. We still like do the cocktail thing. They can drink, do whatever the hell they want. One of my best mates now doesn't drink because of me. Same. And my boyfriend, he'll drink, he'll have a couple of drinks, but we won't. But we'll get the tunes on, we'll have a nice time. Jump in the car. No Ubers, guys. We don't need to do Ubers anymore. Oh, get in the car, get the tunes on, we drive to the club. I try and find a parking space as close to the club as possible. Preferably right this outside. This is so far from how it was back in the day. True story. <laughs> when we go in there, the club has to be a vibe. And when I say vibe, I need that sound system to be correct. I don't want any of this tinny, peaky, horrible sound system. I don't want to be able to hear anyone around me talk, which is why I had the boys over previous to tell me how shit their week's been. <laughs> I don't want to hear about you complaining. I want it just to be me, my mates, the DJ in this amazing sound system. I need there to be a get out clause. I need to know- A back door. Where that door is. <laughs> True story. I need to know that the car is parked outside, that we can get a Mackie's on the way home. And then tomorrow I've got to get up and get my dog out for a walk. Or we've got to go and see the family. Or I've got to paint the bathroom. Like that's, that is the perfect scenario for me. The worst situation that I can be in is where some of my friends or my friends' friends that drink have organized this night out and we're just going to go somewhere and that's it. Or go on a pub crawl. Or go, or if, if I'm not in control of the night, I'm just going like a free spirit. I genuinely get quite disappointed in the vibes because they're doing it for the booze. They're doing it to pull. They're doing it to find other guys to bring home and have a threesome with their boyfriends. Like I'm not going out for that shit anymore. I'm out to have a good time. The music has to be right. Everyone's got to, you know, got to be all on the same page. Like if there's any drama, we sort it out. Do you know, it's like those sorts of things. And as soon as that vibe is off, it's normally around, I call it witching hour. From half 12 to half one, on every single night that you've ever been on, that's witching hour. Because around about half past 12, one of your girlfriends will start to say, oh, he's really pissing me off this week. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or like, oh God, I've got to go up tomorrow, look after the babies. Or like somebody will be like, actually, see now that we're out, I want to ask you something. <laughs> this this all starts around about half past 12. Guys at home, check it. The next time you go out, if it starts to kick off, uh, I want you to get out your phone, your phone or your watch and be like, 
Oh yeah, it's half past 12. It's fucking witching hour. If you're going to see an ex on a night out, I promise you it will happen after 12.30. Right, it yeah. happens to me. I've been out. We've, we've been having the best time. We've come upstairs to have a cheeky vape. There'll be a fight happening on the street and I'll be like that. Oh, it's half 12. And then we just, honestly, we just won't go back inside. But when you're sober, all of those things can happen. We can laugh at all of that. We can laugh at the dodgy mix the DJ's done. It doesn't have to be perfect. But when it's not hitting the spot anymore and the vibe's off, go home. Oh, do you know what's so weird? Because around that time, I used to get, I remember that time as well when I was drinking, I go, and I'm at a point where I'm drunk, but I'm not drunk enough. enough. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, I'm looking myself in the mirror, right? And I'm pretty twisted in the toilets going, Right, Scott, you should go home now. Go home, <laughs> go home now, Scott. Look at yourself. And guess what? I go, and you know, I couldn't face going home and being on my own. And again, it comes back to now in hindsight because I've got the awareness of being lonely. Yeah. Like having to go back to an empty house was my worst nightmare. Yeah. So instead, I'd go straight back into that bar, order a load of shots, shots. and drink myself into oblivion to the point where I can't remember anything. Yeah. And I was constantly fighting coming down from mm -hmm. being the, the Scotty special. Yeah. Hold that thought. I'm going to do a wee. Yeah. Do you know what? I right? need to do a wee as well. So as you may know, British Triathlon are sponsoring this podcast and that means on the 29th of July in Sunderland, I'm going to be doing my first ever sprint triathlon. That's a 750 meter swim, a 20k bike ride and a 5k run. And it might sound daunting, but trust me, it's achievable. So many of you have already signed up, but I've got a few spaces left and you need to make the most of it. If you sign up in April, you will get your very own training plan in collaboration with Training Peaks. And that means we've got three solid months to work on this together. So don't miss out and get yourself signed up using my discount code LEARNING25 and the link in my stories or in the episode notes. So I've got a question for you because people like ourselves, you won't ever for one minute think that we were lonely. We had so many different friends. We were the socialite everybody knew. Where do you think that loneliness comes from? It comes from not knowing who you are. Ah. You know, you can, you can have so many friends, you can have a loving partner, but a lot of the loneliness I think that we face is with ourselves. So I've done panels and, and, and talks before where psychologists have said that loneliness is like the number one thing that people bring to them. And I think a lot of it was heightened in the pandemic. We realized how lonely one can be, Ooh, you know? Yeah. And what it's like when you really are isolated and you start to figure out what type of people am I hanging out with day to day and whatever. But nobody really wants to make that change. If you've got friends around that you've been friends with for like 10, 15, 20 years or whatever, when you wake up and realize who you are, what you want from life. You've got to make changes around you. You know, you can't just muddle through life trying to please all of these people. You know, everyone grows, everyone grows. But I find that it's the conditions that you find yourself in, your school friends. You're not the same people you were when you're in school. Mm. You've got to grow together. But the drinking and the partying and whatever, it takes a big person to turn around to those friends and say, guys, I don't actually want to do this anymore. We can still be cool. We can still be friends. But do you mind if we like go for like a really nice walk? Or do you mind if we like do something fun together? Even that conversation within a group of guys would be impossible for some people. And that can make you lonely. So the friends might be there. You might be doing things together. But are you really being fulfilled? Ah, uh, do you know what's interesting? I feel like in my 20s, I was pretty aimless. Right? So when you're aimless it means that you don't really know who you are yeah. or where you want to be. So drinking, like I didn't get anxiety back in the day when I'm 20, because I was yeah. aimless, I didn't really know where I wanted to be. But as I started to get a bit older and got glimpses of who I am and who I wanted to be, drinking no longer played a part in that because it, it prohibited me from getting there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with you, because when you started to think about your career and who you wanted to be, it's that self-awareness again, mm -hmm. isn't it? When you start to figure out who you are and what you want to be, it's very difficult for drink to play a part in that. Yeah, I call it the light. Yes. So once you've seen that light, it's really hard to unsee it. Or a glimpse of it. 100%. And I, and I got sort of glimpses of that light whenever I was traveling. You know, mm. whenever I was away in India and I was having these experiences and I wasn't, I wasn't drunk, I was properly living life. I thought, ah, oh, this is who I am. The boy in Belfast who was 16, 
who didn't go out to get drunk. I went out to dance. I went out to have fun and to meet people and kiki and have a good time. That was me. He got lost along the way. And then he sort of came out again around like when I was traveling. So whenever I stopped drinking, I just wanted to get him back. He's been inside me the whole time. This like warm, friendly, likable person that I had drummed into me was not enough. He was not enough. It wasn't enough for me just to go and like find someone at a party and like chat to them about like their dog. Oh my, it's so weird you said that then because I I have the same moments when I'm on a dog walk when I don't take my phone with me. Yeah. And I'm I'm away from social media. I'm not posting it. It's just for me. I'm not drunk. And I'll sit and talk to someone on the park bench about their dog and my dog. Yeah. And we start talking, we have this great little one-on-one -on -one conversation. I don't even know who they are. And we walk away just like feeling dead warm and fuzzy. And I'm like, I'm actually a nice person. That's that's life. I, I'm actually a nice person. And yeah. I didn't need to perform then. I didn't need anyone else to watch me or I didn't need alcohol to be that nice person. And then it's those little moments that build up. You go, I want I want more of that. I yeah. want to be him all the time. Is that yeah. how you feel? Oh, 100%. And, but when you have those situations where you are just in a park, you're just chilling or you've like got on the bus and someone beside you goes like, oh, I really like your shoes. And you're like, oh, right. And you see that, that interaction that you've had with that stranger, I believe that that is a mindful moment. That is what life is about. When you start collecting those moments, you quickly realize is that they don't exist when you are drunk. They don't exist whenever you are high. They don't exist whenever you are surrounded by people who aren't on the same page as you. You can spend all night partying with someone, mm -hmm. right? And I've done this many times, literally been with someone for pretty much 24 hours, right? Yeah. And we, we think we're best mates. We've bonded, oh we've God, had all yeah. these deep chats. And if I saw them like two days later, they'd be like a complete stranger God, yeah. because all of that connection that you thought you had was so superficial mm -hmm. and it's not meaningful. And like you said, those little one-on-one -on -one moments you have with a complete stranger gives you more warmth and connection than partying with someone who you think you know, but it's just all through alcohol. Yeah, 100%. And back w before when I was saying that I was worried that I was gonna lose my friends whenever I stopped drinking, it was one of the main reasons why I didn't stop sooner. What, you, what you lose happened? the wrong ones. Well, it's weird actually, because I actually fell in love with a lot of my friends all over again whenever I stopped drinking. And the the friends of mine that I that were just party friends, like I can still see them and it's fine and they're really happy for me and it's not like it's not like the lights just turned off and we don't speak anymore. There are a few, but I'm not that bothered about them. My real true friends that I've had, I don't know, two years, five years, ten years, our bonds have got stronger. And I would say this to anybody who is thinking about stopping drinking. When I told my friends that I was quitting booze, I really believed it. I told them the reasons why. I really clearly from the heart explained that this was really important for me and there wasn't a single pushback. Ah, uh, it's different to when you say, I'm gonna quit drinking for a while, then they think that you can twist your, they, yeah. then they don't kind of, not they don't respect your decision, they just don't think you're super serious about it. Exactly. And they feel like they can twist your arm, whereas yeah. you actually say like it's, like, it's like with me now, I'm, I'm not saying I'm quitting drinking for a year, or six months or three months, I'm saying I'm teetotal now. Love that. And it's a completely different conversation. Yeah, it is. And there's something more empowering about it and people respect it more, if that makes sense. And, yeah. all, um, and they're almost more on board with it, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I also say like, just give, give the people around you time. Like if they're pushing back, if they're trying to twist your arm, that's what mates do. You know, it's like, oh, you're gonna go back to her again tonight? Or like, oh, you're, oh, we're, we're, with, we're with him again tonight, are we? Like, that's what we do, we banter each other. And you've got to be okay with that bit of banter. Like, let's not make this a whole serious thing. But as long as you're staying true to the thing that you've decided to do, if those friends start to like turn on you a little bit or it becomes a little bit off, that's when you need to have those conversations and say, look, this really is quite serious to me. Like I'm stopping drinking because I'm losing my head and I'm making decisions that I don't want to make and all of that there. If they're still not on board with that, then guess what? It's okay to say, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. Yeah, and listen, I had some of that as well, but it's, it's interesting now that some of my friends who initially weren't on board are now actually going sober themselves. Oh my God, yeah. And even my, my biggest achievement in life is the fact that through me going sober, my mum who drank all her life, she's now three years sober. Wow. And she is shining like you wouldn't believe. Wow. And it's infectious. Like yeah. when you actually, 
not even go on, I wouldn't even say it's the sobriety that's infectious, it's the person that you become. Yeah. By the way, it can be tough because you are, yeah. you are confronted with yourself, but any kind of hardship that you go through is so worth it because you become stronger yeah. and stronger. And you talked about it before saying, Scott, when you get past the year mark, that's when exciting shit starts to happen. Tell yeah. me a little bit about that. Well, I stopped drinking from 2020. And as I said, it was only supposed to be a month. And then I had set my goals, which were I wanted to get a job at Radio 1. And I knew I couldn't be at Radio 1 if I was still the same person that was going from party to party, doing X, Y, and Z, and fucking everything up. Self-sabotage. Completely. And abu abusing my body. Mm. I was literally abusing my body. I can't be at Radio 1 and, and do that. It's just not, it's not worth it. It would all be taken away from me like that. So I wanted to get a job at Radio 1. I wanted to save enough money to buy a house. It was time. I was sick of renting. And I was spending a lot of money on booze. So I thought, I know what to do. Let's just cut that back and start to save. And I also wanted to get my mind back. It did get really dark. Like I say, I wasn't at rock bottom, but I was having intrusive thoughts that were like, oh my God, I shouldn't be here in my brain, you know? So those are the things that I wanted. It wasn't like, oh, I'm mourning the loss of booze. It was like, no, actually, this is what I'm gaining. This is what I'm gaining. This is what I want to achieve. But I would only do it for like however long it felt right. There was no end goal. There was no like, right, I'm, I'm going to do a month or whatever. But I just started to enjoy it. Got the job at Radio 1. I was saving money, which was great. And I could start to feel that I was falling in love with myself again. I was like, oh my God, he's back. Like I looked at myself in the mirror and I could see him. He was, he was there. My eyes were getting bluer. My, my friends were, were like buzzing around me. Like my relationship with my mum got better. Like I was being a better dog dad. Like it was all starting to just like bubble up really, really nicely. And I thought this sobriety thing's pretty cool. So I just kept going. I've just got tingles then by the way, cause I can fully relate to that. You know For I the mean? first time ever now, after being four months sober again, I can look myself in the mirror and say, I'm proud of myself. Well done, mate. Because, do you know what I mean? And yeah, that I feeling is so rare because for all of my 20s, even though everyone thought I, I was this well-known guy and, and I made all that money and everything else, but I still didn't feel like I was fulfilling my potential. Whereas yeah. now I know without that chink in my armor, I always, I always call alcohol my kryptonite. Yeah. I now feel unstoppable. And I feel like even if I have a down day, I feel like it's okay mm -hmm. because everything I'm doing is the right decision for me. I'm doing all, all the the lifestyle choices I'm making are healthy ones and I'm balanced mm -hmm. and now. So it's almost like if I do have a down day, that's okay, that's just life. Yep. Whereas if I have a down day because I'm hungover, mm -hmm. then I kind of, I blame myself and I resent myself yep. for it. Whereas now if I'm having a down day, it's more like that's just part of life and that's a wave that I need to ride. Yeah, what I would like to say though, is that it's so easy for anybody listening to be like, yeah, but it's all right for you too, because you're white, because you've got privileges that some people don't have. Mm. So you've got privileges that I don't have, mm. I've got privileges that you don't have, but there are so many people out there that need alcohol, that really, really rely on booze to get them out of bed in the morning. And I do not for one second overlook any of that when I'm having these kinds of chats. All I can do is tell you about my experience. I wasn't alcohol dependent but it was starting to serve a purpose for me that I didn't like. I'm also fully aware that it's easy for me to say, I did it because I wanted to save money to buy a house. Some people don't even have that money to save in the first place. I can say, yeah, I wanted to get my mental health back. And then over the past three years, it's came back. Some people have been fighting mental health issues their whole entire life because they've got a chemical imbalance in their brain. Mm. I'm fully, fully aware of all of that. And I'm also not trying to glamorize quitting drinking as something that fixes everything. I never tell people to stop drinking. I just don't do it. So I will never ever say to you, stop drinking because your life will get better. The drinking for me is a secondary product. Wanting to live your actual fucking best life is the number one thing that I would say. If you are the type of person that can do that, fully 100% do that, committing to be a good mom, a good daughter, a good boss, a good friend, if you can do that and have a couple of cheeky glasses of wine here and there, do whatever the fuck you Amen. wanna do, good for you. Mm. No one should tell you any different. All I can say is, is that that wasn't working for me. And I know from my experience that there are a lot of people out there 
who are coasting through life, working in jobs that they don't want to work in, but they have to because they have to put food on the table. There are people out there who are struggling to get out of bed. And there are people out there that really, really do not like themselves. The vast majority of people out there are not okay with looking in the mirror every day. I promise you I'm one of those people. So I get it. It just so happens that alcohol plays a huge part in your anxiety, your depression, your mood swings, your menopause. It plays a huge part in all of those things. And it's the number one reason why a lot of men end up taking their own lives because they've been drinking so much, they've become alcohol dependent and not realized it. They've ran away from their problems. And then one weekend they have one too many and everything crashes down and they're like, get me the fuck out of here. How can we prevent that? How can we prevent losing more lives, family, friends? How can we prevent people feeling lonely and lost and isolated and like shit? Mm. We need to talk. We need to have genuine conversations. I need to share my insight with you. It's not an insight of, oh, you must stop drinking. Everything's going to get better. No, it's actually, I was riddled with trauma and anxiety of actual things that I went through. Being a gay man, being abandoned when I was a baby, all of these things that have happened to me that down the line could have had the potential of me taking my own life. That could have happened to mm. me because of how ugly things were getting. But I decided that I was gonna take a step back and look at everything that was on the table. And I decided that I was gonna take alcohol out of that equation. So yeah, as much as it is hard to sit with someone and say, yeah, do you know what? I was using drugs to fill a gap that was within me, but that gap was put there by me being abandoned when I was a kid. Guess mm. what? That's not my fault. I can take ownership of the decisions that I made, but I'm not gonna take ownership for all of these traumas that happened to me. And what that does is it frees up some space in your mind. So you're not going, this is all my fault. Sitting at nighttime, feeling lonely because you can't keep a man down, drinking wine, drinking wine, drinking wine. How about talking about it and realizing that actually those guys weren't for you and realizing that you are a good person. You are able to be loved that there's someone out there that will love you and guess what, that person is you. Therapy is amazing for that because if it wasn't for my therapist saying to me, but Dean, you were lonely and you were lonely because, and spelling it out to me, I can walk away from those sessions and go, that's major. I just thought that people didn't like me. So when I say it's hard work, I don't mean it's doom and gloom and really, really tricky. It's hard work because you've got to face up to things. You've got to face up to truths. But I promise you, when you start to see the light, you can't unsee it. So if you've been struggling to connect in with your child and you think it's their fault, you think it's your fault, when you just let some things out to dry and yeah, take alcohol out for a little bit, just give it, give it, a, give it five minutes and just focus on this thing over here. It'll feel like hard work for about five minutes. But when you start to see your child opening up to you or you start to see your relationship with your dad strengthen that little bit who doesn't want that that's the light that's the light right there and i think that's a really good point like you said like me and you i think we're quite similar in terms of we cut out alcohol because we weren't dependent it was more of a, of a lifestyle choice in terms of we knew who we wanted to become and that person um, that we were capable of becoming and alcohol was gonna prevent us from getting there. 100%. And there's so many people who'll be watching this and listening, because I know I was one of them for so many years going, I could hear this voice inside me. Like, Scott, you are capable of so much. <laughs> yeah. You are capable of so much. You're like, and, and literally that moment when I decided to quit drinking, within six months, I went from promoting parties to running a wellness brand and promoting walks in the countryside. And now I've got a self-development podcast. Yeah, man. And I just want this to be living proof to anybody that, if you can make a decision, things will change quite quickly for you. So honestly, so quick. So Scott. quickly. Like, it's not gonna take forever. It really isn't. It'll be uncomfortable for five minutes, but you will, it'll happen. I'm telling you now, I did not think for one second in September, 2020, when I put it out to the universe that I wanted a job at Radio One, that it would happen within a matter of weeks. Wow. The best way I can describe it, and I say this to a lot of people is, imagine that there is a wall 
And on the other side of that wall is everything that you could possibly dream of, right? In order for you to open up that tiny little door to see what's on the other side of that wall, you've got to believe with every inch of your heart that you can achieve it. You hear it on podcasts all the fucking time. (laughs) But the reason is, is because it's true. Mm. You've got to understand why can I do that? Why do I deserve that? You've got to believe in yourself that you can get the job at Radio 1, but you've got to, more than anything else, be so grateful for what you have today. It's all well and good saying, I want, I want, I want, I want. But you've got to believe that everything that is out there is waiting for you. You've just got to make those tiny little tweaks to get there. No one, no one just deserves it today. You know, no one does. It just so happens I'd done 10 years of hard graft But the Radio 1 thing was just on the other side of that wall. And the distance between you and that wall is entirely up to you. It's about you getting out out, out your own way. It's all there. I promise you it's all there waiting for you. And I know, again, it's such a privileged thing to to say. But that thing on the other side of the wall could be something so simple, like just a little bit more time. Mm. Just a little bit more time. That's waiting for you. And can I just say as well, because there's so many Mondays when I woke up, literally every Monday... And I used to say to myself, this is the last time I'm doing this. This is the last time I'm drinking. <laughs> and it was like a constant thing. I'd be on the way to the gym, listening to a motivational yeah. um, speech. And there was this one from Denzel Washington. To achieve something you never had, you have to do something you've never done. Yeah. And I kept listening to it over and over again. And I went, shit, I've just got to go sober for a long period of time and figure this shit out. Yeah. And once I did that, I cannot believe now that I'm sat here with my own self-development podcast yeah, from being Scottish special. People don't even recognize me now from what I was. I used to turn up to like restaurants and, and bars literally off my head and have no shame in it. And the thought of it doing it now is so far removed from who I am. And this person who sat right in front of you now is exactly who I'm meant to be. Yeah. And I've done this in the space of literally two, three years. Yeah. So I just want to be living proof to anybody listening to this. And you are as well, like with what you've achieved and, and the trajectory you're on is going to be phenomenal. I can just see it now Thank because you. you have got out your own way and you are absolutely shining. And this podcast, wow. Just, I just sat there and just been blown away the one thing that I'd like to leave you with, and this is to you as well, Scott, is that if you do try and it doesn't work out, it's fine. Yeah. Like, I promise you it's fine. I remember we had a conversation. You were like, I tried it and it's the backwards and forwards thing. It's the backwards and forwards thing. That's part of it. It's part of it. If you've got to go backwards and forwards a few times, but one of those times it sticks, then you've done it. That's part of your journey. Mm. My best mate who I'm seeing tonight, he has been struggling to stay sober for about three years now. As long as I've been sober, he's been trying. He's fallen off the wagon so many times. I'm like, mate, it's fine. You can start again tomorrow. And that goes for anything. If you've started this new business and it's not working, you've got to keep going. The universe needs to know that you're a grafter. Graft <laughs> that universe. Like, please keep trying. Pursue it like you would pursue your one true love. Just if you believe that you're meant to be with that person, if you believe that you're meant to be 100% happy, keep grafting, keep pushing, because one day, one day... You'll jump that wall. You'll get over the wall. Mm. Listen, I'm four months sober now, but it's, I know how difficult it's going to get at times. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be times... I lost my dad the first time I went sober, yep. and I straight away went back to having a drink. Like Sometimes something will come my way, and mm. I know that like, even summer coming up now is going to be a temptation I for me. Know. It's quite easy, like the first start of the year, January, the new year, new me. <laughs> I know I'm going to be tested. And you know what? If I do have a drink at some point, I'm not going to beat myself up about nope. it. Sometimes I have nightmares where I wake up going, like that, like I've drunk. Yeah, I, I, oh my God. I, it's like a weird... I tell you, that, that that's a, a reminder. Really, that's a real key part of sobriety. How did you feel when you woke up from that? Relieved. That you hadn't? That I hadn't drunk. There you go. So it's like, it's almost like a reminder. That's a massive part of it. But at the same time is, you're so right, because there's so many people go, I've tried, I've done three months and I've, I've messed it all up again. I'm yeah. like, go again. Yeah. Go again, jump back on the saddle That's and it. keep going. And I think it's such an important message. Yeah. But Dean, I want to say thank you. I could have sat and spoken to you <laughs> for literally hours. But oh. um, honestly, you are one amazing human being. And I mean that. Thank you. And man. you're going to inspire so many people. And um, I can't wait to listen to you on Radio One. Yeah. Monday, when am I on? Monday to Thursday from one o'clock. There we go. You I hit think it. That's here. right. There we go. One till half three. Yes. I'll be tuning in. Legend, thank you, you better. so much. Thank you so much. Man. Thank you, mate. So I sometimes struggle to articulate how I feel on my sober journey, but Dean is just so eloquent and he just describes every aspect of it in such a, a real way. He gives the highs, the lows, and he doesn't do it from a preachy perspective. And I just 
I got so much out of today and I hope you did too. And I want to thank Dean for coming out of his busy schedule because this guy is going to be a star. I can just see it now. Another incredible episode. And thank you for listening. And thank you for always supporting. You guys are just so behind this podcast now. I get so many comments and every time you follow, subscribe, it means so much to me and the team because we put so much work into this and I'm just excited for what's to come. So thank you so much and please get ready next week because we are back again with another incredible guest and another incredible life lesson with Learning As I Go.